We're going to look here at uh, this, the captured mind. Um, let me ask you this morning, has, there, has anything ever captivated your mind? I mean, something just really grabbed your attention. I can't move around, but uh, <laughs> amen, Brother Greg. That's a great example. I didn't even think about that. But uh, Brother Greg pointed at his wife. He said, she captured my mind. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. One, one guy said that uh, a, a beautiful face can capture my mind, uh, but it takes a beautiful mind to keep, to keep my attention. And uh, so praise the Lord for that. Anybody else have an example of something that captured your mind, something that uh, just grabbed a hold of your attention and you were just awestruck by it? Hunt Valley. Hunt Valley. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Garland. That's a, that's a blessing. Miss Kim. Your children. Yeah. Amen. Miss Martha. Nature. Just continually. This morning on the way to church, the, the trees there at the Ag Center, uh, the, the tree line drive they have there, they're all turned and so rich and full of color. Just amazing. Oftentimes, yeah, the nature of God's creation can capture our mind. Uh, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, there's something I remember just, it was a year ago, but we went to Branson, Missouri for Christmas with the Bottrell family, and uh, we got to go to Silver Dollar City. And uh, in the evening there, they had a tree that uh, lit up, and they had a display on this tree. And it's like a tree that I've never, ever seen before. This Christmas tree uh, literally has hundreds of thousands of LED lights on it. And they're all, uh, they all can show or display the full spectrum of color. Uh, each, each LED light is possible of displaying like over a million colors. And uh, they can use this tree and the tree comes alive and they actually can do presentations and like they have flying angels in the tree and ribbons and all kinds of just really amazing things all inside this tree. And it's an 80 foot tall Christmas tree. And I told Mary, I says, man, that tree is a light display all by itself. You don't need anything else. I said, if we had that tree, we could put it on the property and just that tree by itself would just be, I mean, people would come to see it and it'd be a chance to witness and all that. I thought, man, that's amazing. I wonder what they paid for that tree. So we're watching a tree and I'm looking on, on Google trying to find out what this tree cost. I thought, well, I was thinking like 100,000, maybe, maybe 200,000. It was 1.5 million is what this tree cost them. It was specifically, specially designed for them. But there's things in life that capture our minds. In our text here, he says, how be it certain men clave. This is uh, Acts 17, 34. It should be in your books, I believe. But <clears throat> he says, how be it men clave unto him and believed among that which was Diosnes, uh, the Ergabite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Can this Paul, God used Paul as he entered this great city of Athens. Uh, if you know anything about Athens, Athens was the center, the center of higher thought, the center of higher learning. Athens was the place, the uh, people that uh, fancied themselves uh, great deep thinkers would gather the intellectual capital of the Mediterranean world, you would say. He entered the Acropolis there. The Acropolis was a part of the city that stood 500 feet above everything else. Uh, this is where those great thinkers would gather and discuss the 
uh, you know, the, the deep and rich thoughts of life and they fancied themselves great thinkers. Well, look, if you would, in the book of Acts chapter 17, we're going to reference this chapter several places, several different times, but I want you to see some things in Acts 17 as we're going through this lesson this morning. But in the book of Acts, verse number 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 18, he says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? And others some, He seemeth to be setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. You see, beloved, some mocked. As Paul spoke, let me encourage you, don't let the mocker discourage you. There's, there's going to be people that will mock. Regardless of what it is that you're trying to impart and the truth that you're sharing, there's going to be some that will mock. But there's others in this group here that Paul was speaking to that their hearts melted under the power of the truth of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They believe the truth of all these intellectuals, these men who thought themselves to be brilliant, and uh, they're, they're, I mean, a, a full-on brainstorm for some of them would have been a little bit of drizzle is about all. They, they fancied themselves great thinkers, and yet they mocked and laughed at Paul. They said about him, what was this man? They, they called him a babbler. He's going to babble. He's going to say some things. These intellectuals, the Epicureans, the Epicureans were experience-driven people. If they couldn't believe it, they couldn't uh, see it or feel it or experience, they, 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 didn't, they didn't believe it. It had to be something that they experienced. The Stoics were materialistic-driven people. Materialistic things, what they could grab a hold of. The pantheists were pride-driven. Wiersbe said this about these Epicureans and Stoics. He said, the Epicureans said, enjoy life. And the Stoics said, endure life. But it remained for Paul to explain how they could have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul was preaching to them. Paul was preaching to them Jesus risen from the dead. God used Paul to capture the mind of some of these men. Beloved, God wants to capture our mind. He wants to capture our mind, to grab a hold of it with the truths that are in the Word of God. You know, this world and the bright lights like this Christmas tree or other things that we can behold, these things have captured our mind and grabbed a hold of us to too great of extent. We need to let the word of God capture our mind. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, verse number 5, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. We need to let the Holy Spirit and the word of God capture our mind. This is what we're dealing with here this morning. First of all, the captured mind begins with an openness. It's the first part of your outline there, an openness, a, a willing to hear the truth. You know, you got to be willing to hear the truth. There are some that 
it doesn't matter how uh, well of an argument you put forth, how substantiated the truths are, they're not going to hear it. They just don't want to know. They, they don't really want to know the truth. And so it doesn't matter what you say or how you say it or how eloquent you are. There has to be an openness to the truth. It begins with that and it begins with a desire to mature, a desire to mature. The question this morning is, do you really have a desire to mature, a desire to know the truth, a desire to let God capture your mind? You can't teach someone anything if they really don't want to learn it. You can beat your head against the wall trying to get them to understand or to know or to learn it. But if somebody doesn't want to learn something, you are hard pressed to get them to hear you. The Greeks here that uh, Paul was talking to, you know, I'm sure most all of you at least have some exposure or understanding of the, the very various Greek gods. This is what they were worshiping here in Athens, these many different Greek gods. There was set up there the tomb of the unknown God, you know, this altar to him. But they had all kinds of, the, the, the Greeks had all kinds of gods. And if you know anything about the stories and, and how these gods came into place and how they warred one with, with, with another and gained position and all this, our, our dog's name, when we got our dog, his name was Odin. That's a Greek god. And I really, I felt guilty about that this whole time. I'm like, I should have, I should have changed that dog's name. I, I try and call him Odie. Uh, that's the cartoon character, Odie, right? I mean, his name's, oh, I'm, I just call him Odie because I don't like talking about Greek gods, but I guess if you're going to name something after a Greek god, a dog would be a thing. But, uh, you know, this, that it's the name the dog had when we got it. But, you know, these Greek gods, these, these men of Athens, it's funny because they, they thought he babbled. They said, here, he's going to talk about this, this god. He's babbling. They thought the substance of what he had to say was nothing. It was of no importance. They really didn't want to hear it. But look in Acts 17, verse number 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Beloved, some hardened their heart against the truth, but there are others who heard the truth and believed it. You see, they had an openness to the truth. They had a desire to mature. In verse number 34, the text verse for this lesson, he said, Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. Certain men claved and believed. They believed. And we need to be hungry for the truth. If the truth of the word of God is going to truly capture our heart, we need to be hungry for it. We need to desire it. We need to be like the psalmist who said, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things in thy law. We need God to open our eyes. <coughs> we need God to allow us to see the truth of his word. We need to ask him to open our eyes. Have that openness. Open thou mine eyes. Lord, I, I want to know the truth. I have a desire to mature today. Do you really want to mature? Can I say, if you really want to mature, then there's going to be a diligence to meditate. 
a diligence to meditate. Any of you that have a particular area of interest, whatever it might be, some of you might like computers, some of you might like crafts, some of you might like cars. The other day we were driving down the road and Andrew named some car and one of his siblings uh, was giving him a hard time about, oh, you think you know every car there is or something, you know, uh, siblings. And Andrew made some comment about, no, I'm just, I'm interested in it. So I learn what they are. You know, I just learn what they are. It's an area of interest he has. So there's a diligence given to knowing and being able to recognize a car. He, he, we may be a long ways away from it. All we're doing is looking at the taillights and he'll say what kind of car it is. And uh, he'll tell you that car can go this fast or whatever. We have an area of interest. There's a diligence to meditate, to learn about those things. Well, beloved, if we want to know the truth, there's going to be a diligence to meditate. Acts 17, verse number 11. Look back at that passage with me, if you would. Acts 17, 11. This is before Paul went to Athens. He was among this group in Berea. You remember this group in Berea? He says here in Acts 17, 11, that these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. <coughs> you see, beloved, there was a readiness of mind. There was an openness. There was a desire. And that desire manifested itself in a diligence to meditate. Daily, they got into scriptures. Is there a diligence to meditate in your life? A diligence to know? A desire to want to continue to learn? Oh, have we reached a place in our, in our spiritual pursuits that we feel as though we know basically, oh, I know I don't know everything. Nobody would say they know everything, but we feel like we have a good grasp on all there is to attain in this Christian life and we, we understand it and so we're good. The exciting thing about this discipleship course that has, has uh, gone across our church and so many people involved in it is that there's young Christians that are just starting out and there's Christians that have been saved and in church for many, many, many years that are taking. And, and you know, you look at the topics of study and you're like, well, I know what that is. But is there a desire to truly gain understanding and to be able to expound that truth and to be able to carry it with you and to just be reminded of the verses that teach that truth and to have it at hand? That's what the discipleship course has done for many. Even though some of the topics are very basic Christianity, everybody that's gone through it has said, man, it was good. It was good. And what causes them to take that step and say, you know what, I'm going to go through that because there's a desire to meditate. A desire, a diligence given to meditating. If you really want to mature, you're going to give yourself to meditation. You got to don't forget that it starts with an open, mouth, open mind. You got to be in pursuit of the truth. There was young, one young man in his, in his private school that got in trouble. His parents came in for a parent-teacher conference when they sat down with the principal of the school, the principal began to tell them the reason that their child was in trouble. They said, your child is in trouble because of his diligent study of the word of God. The teacher, the parents were like, what? How, how can he be in trouble for studying the word of God diligently? And they said, well, because 
The reason that he is studying the word of God is he's trying to disprove it. You see, that was his goal. It was not that he had an open mind and wanted to learn the word of God. It's not that he wanted to hear the truth. He wanted to disprove the truth. That's what he wanted to do. You know, you have to uh, have an open mind, a desire to know the truth. Well, William Mitchell Ramsey was a very well-known historian and archaeologist, and he set out to disprove the book of Acts, the book that we're studying right now. He, as an archaeologist, he went to dig, and he dedicated 15 years to research and to digging historical sites to disprove the book of Acts. And uh, wouldn't you know it, that instead of disproving it, everything he found kept proving it. Everything that he came across reestablished the fact, and he wrote three books that described Luke as the greatest, greatest historian that ever lived. Of course, his atheist friends were very upset at him for changing. You got to be careful when you get into the truth. You may, uh, in your heart and mind, be desirous to disprove it, but if you give yourself to studying the truth, it's going to have an impact on your life. Over and over again, we've seen where men have maybe set out with the wrong intentions, but God reached down into their heart and saved them. See, you've got to have an openness that will lead to obedience. The captured mind proceeds in obedience. You know, we don't just listen and hear the truth just for the sake of hearing it. This was maybe part of the problem with the Epicureans and the Stoics. They really would love to get and, and talk. And the Bible describes these kind of people as people that are given to foolish and unlearned questions. They, they love to debate these deeper things, but they really have no impact on their life. They have no difference. No difference is made. There's no reason for studying these things. But beloved, we study the truth because we want to obey it. It leads to a practice of deference. A practice of deference. Of, of being obedient to what God teaches. Not only in verse number 34 do they say that they cleaved to Paul's words, but it says that they believed. That they believed. Uh, how many of you have seen these dogs, whether it be a military dog, uh, a show dog, you have these dogs that have been trained and, and their obedience is immediate and precise. I mean, it is amazing the discipline and the obedience that those dogs have. They, they have been trained and they're desirous to obey their master. There was one man who was a firefighter and he had a dog that was very well-trained, and it was his best friend. And uh, he was in the woods one day, and he was out there in the woods, and he had, as usually what he would do, he would set his lunch and his gear and stuff down, and 
he would tell his dog to stay because where he was going was dangerous and he didn't want his dog, he said, stay. And his job was to guard his master's things, to watch over them, make sure no animals got in his lunchbox and such. That was the dog's job. And the dog did that faithfully day after day as he was out there. And one day the fire turned. At the end of that day, that dog was found dead next to that lunchbox. The fire would not cause that dog to leave his post. And the man giving a news broadcast, an interview, he said, I always had to be careful what I told him to do because I knew he was going to do it. Do we have that kind of obedience to our master, to the Lord? To just do, to be obedient to what he says. We know that James tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. In James 1.22. But it goes on and says deceiving your own selves. For any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a, to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way. And straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed indeed. Are you obedient? Does our hearing, does our openness to hear and to want to gain the truth, our meditation in the word, does that lead to obedience in our life? That's what a captured mind does. You see, beloved, there's a problem with disobedience. <coughs> the problem with disobedience is that, uh, well, let me put it this way. If when my, kid, when my boys were younger, let's say that I took them out and uh, purchased their first BB gun for them. And I sat them down and I gave them very clear and defined instructions about gun safety. And showed them how to use a gun and taught them about muzzle awareness and knowing where the gun is pointing at all times. And you don't raise it until you're ready to shoot and you only point it at something you're planning to shoot at. And you got to be conscious and aware and only pointing that gun down range and always be aware of your surroundings and what's for patent. He just went through the whole thing and taught them all that they should know about guns. And then I gave them the BB gun. And a few minutes later, whether it was by accident or on purpose, Andrew shot his brother Timothy. Now, this is just an illustration. It didn't actually happen. In truth, it was the other way. Timothy shot Andrew. <laughs> uh, in, in different circumstances than what I'm describing, but that did happen. But let me, let me ask you, let me ask you, if that happened, would I give a 357 to my child? I mean, if they, they took the BB gun and after all of the instruction, I understood they did not have muzzle awareness. They didn't realize how important it was to be careful with where this is pointing. They carelessly pointed the gun at somebody and pulled the trigger. I'm not going to give them a 357 because instead of just having a little sting or maybe a small puncture, 
somebody would be in the hospital or maybe dead. Well, here's the problem with disobedience. When we disobey our Heavenly Father, He does not continue to give us more truth. We disobey concerning a BB gun. He doesn't hand us the 357. He says, listen, you haven't done what I've asked you to do already. Why should I continue to give you more truth? Why should I continue to give you instruction? You have failed to observe and to do according to what I've already commanded you. Could I ask you this morning? Let's say you all have your own individual book there. What if you wrote down in your book and just think about maybe the last two or three times that God spoke to your heart? And you just make a note in your book there. Something that God spoke to your heart about. You say, the last time God spoke to me, let's see, what would that be? Well, God asked me to stop doing this. Or God asked me to give a track out. Or God spoke to my heart about starting to do this. Make a note of those things. And then what I want you to do is right next to that, write down obeyed or disobeyed. How often do we obey? We can't expect God to continue to give us direction if we're not obeying. The captured mind, beloved, culminates in ownership. In ownership. We see here these two individuals that their life was changed in such a dramatic way. What is the last four words of verse number 34 there? And others with them. You see, their life was changed in such a dramatic way they be they not only opened their ears to hear and had a desire to learn the truth, <coughs> not only had they been obedient in practicing the truth, but they owned it in such a way that it influenced others around them. Others were impacted. You have seen this happen in your own life. Some of you may be able to give an illustration about somebody that Let's say they, they got a new tool. Or I can recall many years ago, somebody using a new oil in their vehicle. And they came and they proceeded to tell me about how this oil was the best oil on the market. And I mean, they believed it. They owned it. They were using this oil. They, 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 said they, they went through all these tests and uh, all these things that proved that this oil was the best. I mean, they were sold. They, they owned it. There was no hesitation or question. And you know what? They convinced me and I started using that oil. I wonder, has our Christianity, our relationship with Jesus Christ impacted us in such a way that those around us can't get away from it? That those around us 
are influenced and impacted because of the belief of what Jesus Christ has done for us in our hearts. These two converts changed and impacted and influenced others. What this really means is that their minds were changed. A captivated mind is changed. The process of a changed mind. You see, the word of God changes our mind so that wrong thinking is replaced with right thinking. And it affects the way that you live. Wrong thinking is replaced with right thinking. The fact of the matter is, is all of us at times have had some faulty thinking. We've looked at a situation incorrectly. We diagnosed a problem incorrectly. We've thought about our lives and maybe our lives have been, uh, you know, we looked and we said, well, this is of what, what is of utmost importance. But it's faulty thinking. We've got to get our thinking lined up with God, lined up with God's word. Let him change us. Our minds affect our manners, as we learned in the very first lesson, that it changes how we act. When our mind has been captivated by the truth of the word of God, it's going to have an impact on us in such a way that it changes what we do. When right thinking takes place, right living will follow. When right thinking takes place, right living will follow. You know, if I thought that uh, a, a drink in moderation was acceptable, if I thought it was okay, then uh, my faulty thinking would lead to wrong living. But if I got into the word of God and gained a true understanding of what God says about strong drink, about alcohol, and then it changed my mind, then I would stop drinking in moderation because my mind has been changed about that. Brother Greg? Amen. <clears throat> that is a very true and real example of what takes place when we have an openness to the truth and then the truth settles in our heart and we say, okay, yeah, I'm, an obe- I'm going to be obedient to that. And then it changes you. It changes. How many years has it been since you had a drink? Twenty-eight years. It's a changed behavior because of the truth of the word of God. And that's what God's word is supposed to do. And you know, sometimes even as Christians that have been saved a long time, sometimes we can close our mind to the truth. We can say, oh, I'm, I, I, no, I don't agree with that. No, I don't like that. No, I don't think so. But would you, be, would you really earnestly get into the word of God and study it? And say, what does God's word teach about this? Lord, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things in thy law. Ask God to help you see and understand and, and be able to grasp the truths of his word. It, it's, it's, it's not to hurt us, 
God wouldn't ask us to do anything that's to hurt us. It's all to help us. But sometimes we want to hold on to what we want to hold on to. We're not really ready to let God change us, right? That. Yeah. Amen. That's what we've got to do. And that process will change our mind we see here. And the uh, <clears throat> persistence uh, of a cleansed mind, the uh, pertinence of a cleansed mind, sorry. Uh, does God need to wash <laughs> your brain with soap? Uh, how, does a, how does our mind get cleansed? How do we cleanse our mind? The, the Bible here uh, says, now you are cleansed through the word which I have spoken unto you. Uh, the mind is cleansed through the word of God, through getting in the word. Somebody said a lot of so-called open minds ought to be closed for cleaning. <laughs> That's, uh, just we're closed for cleaning right now. We've got to clean this up a little bit. So there is an importance that our mind be open to the right thing. You know, as we've thought and talked about in the beginning, sometimes people's minds are, are, are closed to the truth, but they're open to all kinds of foolishness, open to hear and, and take in all, whatever this world has to offer, but closed to the truth. Well, our minds should be open to the truth and be searching for and desirous and wanting to learn the truth and to know the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, even if, as you know, they say sometimes in church that our toes get stepped on even if it is not really what we want to hear, but we're open to hearing the truth and letting the truth change us instead of being closed-minded to those things. We need to let it cleanse us. You see, our, our mind is a sacred enclosure into which nothing harmful can enter except we allow it. It has to be something we, we allow to enter our mind. We know Satan can come and bring a temptation. He can plant a thought. He can cause you to take a look. But whether you dwell upon that, whether you meditate upon it, whether you look a second time, whether you do that, that is a choice that you make. It has to be a permission that you give. But we need to give God per permission to cleanse our mind of wrong thinking. And to saturate our mind with his truth. Psalms 119, 9 through 11. <clears throat> Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know... Sometimes people say, oh, you're one of those brainwashed Christians. Next time you hear that, you could say, thank you. Amen. I hope my brain's been washed. I hope it's been cleansed. I'm taking heed thereto to the word of God. I hope my life is different. I hope God has made something different that, that I'm not the person I used to be. 
because of what God has done for me. Just a couple of things to ponder uh, as we close here. A captured mind begins with openness. Are you open to the word of God? When right thinking takes place, right living will follow. We need to ask God to give us right thinking. Blessing rest on those who hear and obey. Are we obeying? We can't expect God to continue to impart and teach us truth if we're not obeying the truth that we have already heard. These two converts who so owned the truth that God had given them that it impacted others around them. What about you and I? Is our life impacting others? Are we able to share the truth? People see the truth, the difference in us. This is a captured mind and what it does for us as believers.